Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Seek Forgiveness will launch Mental Health Ki Hundahe, a transformative translation guide that looks to explore and explain common mental health issues in a way that Sikh and Punjabi speaking communities can understand. If you'd like to find out more, please visit sikhforgiveness.com. If you're in the UK, you can purchase directly from the website. If you're looking to purchase internationally, please check out Amazon. Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness podcast. I'm Amrit Bansal and I'm joined today by Farrell Bansal, who is a poet, a speaker and is in various art and creative spaces. Thank you for joining me today, Farrell. My pleasure. Um, I'm really happy to be here and chatting with you right now. I'm grateful too. To begin with, tell us more about yourself. You know, I really love that question to ask people. It's like, tell me a little bit about you because there's so many places to start and where someone starts really interesting. I just put a little bit of pressure on myself. Now, where do I start? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Okay, so a little bit about me. I am uh, a poet. I am female identifying. My pronouns are she and her. I grew up in Canada, but my family origin stories in India. I currently feel like I live nowhere and everywhere. My last few homes have been Costa Rica, Canada, and I'm currently sitting in New York and Turtle Island. And so very aware of the land around me as I feel like our environments really shape our individual bodies. In terms of a few other things, I guess if I were a Venn diagram, uh, I would be, (laughs) if I were a Venn diagram, broadly stroked, you would put me in the categories of art, tech, and real estate. And I kind of overlap um, the work that I do in the middle. And I would always (laughs) keep it visual. I would say that that Venn diagram is sitting in a cup of like steaming chai. Mm -hmm. Um, And that chai is, that Venn diagram is seeped in the human experience, human behavior, decolonization, practices and narratives, and um, the notion of plurality being a place to aspire towards. And can talk a little bit more about what that means, plurality. Yeah, and so I, I like, I feel like I'm a bridge across many silos. And the version of me that I'm experiencing most deeply right now is my poetic self. Mm-hmm. So that is my poetic self is is here with you right now. And I've obviously read your poetry as well and how you speak about certain topics that you are passionate about. It is powerful, but you also speak with your raw truth and authenticity. And I guess a start, well, a starting point would be you have experienced hair loss and some of that you have also spoken about openly. Mm-hmm. Would you like to tell us more about that too? Yeah, so there are a few moments, I think, in people's lives where you experience some sort of trauma and you can experience it and and everyone and and their lived experience is totally valid. And and the way that I experience um, significant outward facing traumas in my life, uh, in retrospect, I can say this, is through the idea of like post-traumatic growth. And so a few years ago, um, I was experiencing like in in a span of three or four months, like my hair was literally pouring off of my head uh, and I was in such denial of it even happening. It was a very 
it wasn't difficult at all because I just didn't, it, it didn't acknowledge it, right? And so um, when I finally did acknowledge what was happening, um, it was very challenging towards my, I guess towards like my comfort of self at first. And, um, and when I fully embraced the idea that this is happening, I didn't even know what to do. Um, and I know I'm, I'm diving in a little ahead here. I can, I can share the story if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, happy to. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a very, the reason why I'm, I'm actually like slow to respond right now is because in this moment and, and for the past like few years, so this started in 2017, it's, you know, and so for the past few years, I've now come to realize that this was like the biggest blessing I could have ever asked for. And so I want to be really authentic and honoring of the journey that I went on. But in this exact moment, I have nothing but deep gratitude and respect for myself for like moving through that process and not really caring what other people thought um, for a large part of it, because there were some core people in my life who I really like their support was more powerful than a whole crowd of people cheering me on or not cheering me on. And um, so as I take time to reflect, I'd like to share honestly, like how I was experiencing that in those moments, which was, it was terrifying. It was hard. It was scary. It was um, denial was like probably the mildest thing I could say. I, I think my partner at the time and my family, my like siblings and parents, they could see how bad it was, but I could not because most of my hair loss happened at the back of my head and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I refused to have any idea. And it was gratefully a Canadian winter. I was wearing a toque, like a, a winter hat all the time. You know, I could really kind of get away with it in some degree. And so when I finally acknowledged it, which wasn't until, um, truly, it wasn't until I went to a wig shop and the wig shop owner, like, he like took like a pen or a pencil or whatever. And he was just like flipping through my hair. And he's just like, oh, and, and I'm sitting in front of a mirror as he's doing this. And obviously I'm at this wig shop. So I, I, I felt bad, but I didn't know how bad it was. And he's just like flipping through my hair and he's like twirling me around, um, around this chair. And he's like, oh, you have alopecia. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, like, look. And he's showing me how bad it is. And I'm right, it was really bad. Like, I think I lost, I must have lost like 65-ish percent of my hair. Like where my eyebrows are, if you were to take your hand and take your all the way to the back of your head, I had no hair from my eyebrows down at the back of my head. And I had super long hair, you know, I'm like this, again, embodying this uh, archetype of like an Indian female and always have had long hair and just was able to like mask it. And so upon realizing how bad it was, I luckily also got a wig at the same time. And the wig was was very difficult in its own way. Like as soon as I put the wig on my head, I think it's also because I, I, I really acknowledged how bad it was at the time at the same time. I felt like I felt like I was hiding something. I felt like I was, I felt like a part of me was taken away. I felt like I felt very violated mm. because imagine like you're wearing the wig in public, but then you go home and you take the wig off and you go to sleep and you're 
in your house and you're not wearing your wig or maybe you are but it's like it's you you it's a very evident that there's something on your head at least for me there it, it felt very evident and that was a really hard place to be in it felt like I was living an alter ego life I felt like I was living in two different worlds of like what was actually happening to me and what I was sharing outwardly if that makes sense right so it was yeah. like, almost like I was presenting an illusion of everything is fine don't worry look I have this like beautiful wig where I feel like I look like Priyanka Chopra. Like it was so much hair in this wig. I literally went to the wig shop owner like a few days later and I was like, dude, you got to mess up this wig. Like it's, it's too, it's too pretty. It looks like I came out of a hair salon Mm. and that's not my reality. (laughs) Like I wear my hair in a ponytail. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not the person that would have, uh, spend a lot of time on, styling my hair and now I felt like I was yeah in this like weird alter world with this wig on so I would say that every step that I've described so far was extraordinarily hard and confronting thank you for sharing that and it it sounds like you said there were stages of you first even acknowledging what was happening and then going through that stage of realizing something it almost sounds like something didn't feel right to you, as in you mentioned like almost having a dual life, but it wasn't authentic to you. Is that right to say? Yeah, that's totally accurate. Yeah, it felt inauthentic. Um, even this, I, it felt also like I was kind of cornered in, like I had no other choice. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel very challenged by this idea of not having choice. And I think as... Um, I think as Indian females, like there's this like suppression, this oppression that happens in our culture of like women kind of being hurtled into a a specific kind of role in the family, in the community. Um, If you are um, able to access education and who you are to be as an educated person, like there's all these ideologies that are pressed upon us of what it means to be this, this perfect South Asian or brown skinned or Indian or Eastern female. And, um, and so this wig felt like, like my partner at the time presented this option to me. He's like, well, why don't you get a wig? And it was devastating when he said that he didn't mean that as a a harmful thing to say, but in his mind too, he also saw no other real option there that would satisfy or soothe me in where I was. Um, Yeah, I will say that like wearing this wig felt like oppression layered onto the top of my head, like the most visible place of my body, my head, like my crown chakra, my, you know, my third eye, like it, it is, it is like, it felt invasive. I get that sense of like not true to who you were on an energetic level and on a personal level to you. So it's, I think it's a little bit more complicated than me because it's not really about me, right? Like, you know, all of this, this story about me is, it's kind of like, let's, let's use the word of like, uh, it's an example, it's folklore. It's just an idea, idea in the story format of a person of, of like a Eastern woman of uh, Indian or South Asian women being uh, put into specific categories of being. So yes, for me personally, it was, I felt like I was stripped of who I was or who I am. 
at that time. But more broadly speaking, it spoke to like what our, our societal and cultural and familial standards are and how not conforming to them is beyond disruptive. It's painful. After just like a week, after maybe about two or so weeks of wearing the wig, like, and I'm, I'm sharing these feelings with you strongly in this moment, I can like actually feel myself back in that moment. After two weeks of like two or so weeks of wearing this wig, it was like each day this like frustration grew. And I was like, this is so weird. Like I'm wearing this beautiful wig, like everything is solved. Yet I felt like my freedom and my authenticity and my identity were stripped from me in that same moment. I started getting really, one day I woke up really angry. I was so angry. And this was a few weeks after, like two weeks after I was wearing this wig. And I'm like, why am I so angry? What am I angry at? Who am I angry at? What is this about? Like I, I went through this line of questioning um, and, and through that line of questioning, I realized that I'm not angry at myself. I did nothing wrong. I'm not angry at any specific person. No one's really done anything to put me into this physical place. No one's done anything to be like, you have to wear a wig. Like no one said anything like that to me. I was really upset with what I just referenced. I was really upset with the like, societal, familial, and cultural pressures that felt so daunting and they were so overlaid on me of what our Eastern and Western beauty standards are. And I say that because people get caught in the beauty standards. It was beyond beauty standards, right? Like our ideas of beauty are, are so co-related to our idea of identity and how we relate to ourselves and one another. And so I think what a lot of people see when they see me or when they see my videos or my poetry is they're like, wow, you look beautiful without hair or wow, you, you, you have a really beautiful shaped head or um, they, they go to the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. And that's not the point. I think you look beautiful when you're yourself. Like, and it doesn't matter what you physically look like you are innately beautiful when you are operating from your internal iOS, not from this like downloaded program of like what it means to be a good Indian daughter or a good Indian wife or, or whatever, fill in the blank of good something. Um, when you're truly yourself, you absolutely are beautiful and stunning. And so in that moment, when I woke up with, when I, when I felt that anger and I identified it not being mine, but rather a um, rather like a, a societal and a cultural issue. <laughs> I made two phone calls mm -hmm. and I, in that moment I decided, fuck this, I'm shaving my head. Like there's, I, I don't want to wear this wig anymore. And I can't have this like scraggly long hair where I'm missing like, you know, 75% of my hair at this point. Uh, I'm just going to shave it all off. And I called two friends. I called um, a friend who's a photographer and I was like, dude, I'm going to shave my head. Um, will you take pictures of me while I do it? And I called another friend. He has one of the largest Indian um, fashion stores in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was like, dude, I'm going to shave my head. I think we should just, I think I should wear like some Indian clothes after. And we should do a photo shoot to just tell everyone fuck their ideas of what it means to be an Indian woman. Like it doesn't, no, let's, let's, let's like really mess with this like um, identity and genderized way of seeing 
bodies and our culture. And those are the two calls I made. And I decided in that moment, I'm shaving my head. And I have to tell you, Amrit, it was the most liberating decision I could have made for myself because I didn't ask anyone's permission. I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it really. I, I made the decision for myself. And in that moment, I knew this would be one of the most important decisions I would make for myself. This is more important than my wedding, for example, um, because a wedding is two people and this is just about me. Mm. And actually, you know, like, and, and actually I was supposed to get married and I knew what, what that was supposed to be like. I actually called off my wedding several years back because uh, I was going to get married at the age of 26 and it was just to not to the right person. We were not compatible human beings. Um, each of us great in our own ways, but again, not together. And I think like all of these little things that happen in life, like all of these, like for me, I had two very visible external things, which is calling off my wedding and shaving my head. They were two of the biggest nodes for me in terms of post-traumatic growth. And I shifted immensely from both of those. As a person, I shifted a lot from each of those moments. And um, I think at any time, you know, and it's very frustrating when you're not feeling good for someone to say, this is a great lesson. You're just like, that's not what I want to hear right now. I just want to rage. Don't say that to me, but it truly is. If you allow the shitty things that happen in your life to give them a little bit of space and get some perspective on it, they're huge moments of change and changing sure your external, but also your internal. For my wedding, it was a big external change because I shifted the map of my life. I'm no longer going to get married in my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, like, like all my cousins and family friends did. And you know, I'm not going to follow the Punjabi dream, you know, which is like the American dream in a different version uh, where we speak and eat a lot more Indian food. Um, and I'm like, shit, what am I going to do now? And so that was an external thing. But me shaving my head was truly identity shaking. It went from, it, it brought me right into myself and it forced me to ask questions like, am I a female without hair? Am I Indian without hair? Which seem like wild questions to ask oneself. Cause it's like, yes, you are still female. Like shaving your head doesn't change your gender unless you say you want it to, but if you don't, it doesn't, right? Um, and so they were very core fundamental questions. And I, I, I ask people now, I'm like, have you ever questioned your gender? Have you ever questioned your cultural heritage, your, your relationship to that? Like, when do we challenge these within ourselves? For, and for many people, it's provoked. Um, for what, if we always ask ourselves these questions, like how much more depth could we see? And I gotta say, I, I found a lot of depth. Mm. Yeah, you asked yourself some very powerful questions, but it wasn't just like you said about you personally. It was actually, it sounds like you broke down, okay, what are the societal narratives? What are the archetypes we are passed and pushed onto one another about what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a Punjabi woman? It wasn't just from what you're telling me, just about hair or the physicality of it. It's what it represented. It, it's the physical embodiment, right? Like the wig was a physical embodiment of oppression. 
And my shaved head was the physical manifestation of a new world, a new identity, but with the same ancestry. So then what, what does that mean? (laughs) And um, I felt very blessed to have such a strong community of people around me to hold me safe. And I feel very fucking fortunate for that. Like very fortunate. My family, despite my mom being very upset by the whole thing, uh, not necessarily at me, but the situation and just like, you know, it was really difficult for her, but my siblings, my dad, my, my close friends, um, they all were really capable of holding me and telling me it doesn't matter. Like I look beautiful either way. Like my nine-year-old niece was like, oh, you look the same just without hair. (laughs) And, you know, like, um, but on the flip, like some of my little babies, like my little nieces and nephews, like very little ones were scared of me without hair. Um, You know, and so uh, it, it was just like, it was very emotional in every way, emotional in the support I received, emotional in the challenges I faced, but I was so protected and I feel so grateful for, and I didn't need everybody to agree with me and I didn't need everybody to protect me, but the people that did and the people that were present for it was like very insulating and and helpful when you're so fragile and tender coming out of this experience where I fell into like a, I don't know, like a six to eight months depression after I shaved my head because I and I didn't even know I was depressed because I didn't even know what depression felt like until a friend was like, I think you're depressed and um, realized that this had shaken my identity so far to the core that any tools that I used to use to help me move through things like this were no longer working. And I was, I kind of had to rebuild my identity People like I was so liberated after I shaved my head and people like, you look beautiful. You look amazing. And all these compliments were flying at me. And then aunties were crossing rooms at parties to be like, Beta, you look amazing. I just want to tell you how beautiful you looked. And like, I, I understood that they did mean it, but I also understood the code behind it, which is I didn't know one could look so beautiful without hair. This is shocking my ideology and my understanding of beauty and femininity right now huh like that's what I really heard them say I, I, I believed and received their comments and, and their loving attention but also recognized that I was vis- visibly breaking people's social understandings of beauty and femininity and identity but it took me a little bit longer than it did for other people around me to to acknowledge what I now look like and how it made me feel. I was like scared of my own shadow. I didn't even recognize it, you know? Yeah. I guess you could say it wasn't like a natural progression at all. You know, how you're openly speaking about the fact of you felt liberated and you knew who to contact and you said, okay, let's do this shoot. This is how I'm going to look. At the same time, then also processing I guess is the best way to say it even how you were navigating this identity like you said going forward in even different settings because when we go to social events as well 
which you commented on in terms like Indian weddings or a gathering, there's a certain expectation at times, even what we place on ourselves. Again, I would say that like, I went to like these external functions of Indian functions, but I go to a lot of Indian functions because I'm related and have like huge family, family, family friends. And um, like so many of us are blessed to have. And I think believing in yourself and loving yourself, even when it feels hard and allowing, you know, a few people, you don't need very many, but like one, two or three people to be your supports when you go to an event or, or something public facing that feels a little scary and new. Honestly, it's so much less than we need to feel so safe and held and to know that you can leave at any time and to know that like, if someone says something to you, it's not really about you. It's hard to say that in the moment, but it's not about you. And so coming and approaching these like more public and like family centered or like, you know, Indian event centered spaces. I was really shy, but people around me were like, we got you, don't worry. My sister, my partner, my brother. And, um, and I noticed like, I didn't change. People still love me, right? Like without hair, like, uh, and so I noticed my uncles were like very protective, you know, just like making sure I felt safe. Cause I think when, if I were to shave my head in any other context out of active rebellion, out of, out of anything that was aside from a health issue, it would have been received very differently from my, from, from my community, from, from the Indian community. Um, and I have to say what a blessing because me shaving my head, I've never felt more like myself ever. Like my insides and outsides are more aligned than they've ever been. I feel so much like myself since embracing my shaved head. It did take me some time, but the journey that it took me on was invaluable. And it's, it's, it's who sits here before you now. And it also is um, indicative of the work that I do now. And so these events were really important. It was really important to like feel the protection of my family and friends and uncles and aunties or, or feel that random uncle that says the rudest thing to you. I'm like, dude, do you like fucking hear yourself? Like that is rude, you know, like, and, um, you know, having so many women cross rooms to connect with me, to just be like, wow, you're so courageous. Wow. You're so beautiful. Like, wow. This is, this is shocking because when you don't look like everyone else, you have a chance to tell everyone else without saying anything, all the ways that they can exist in the world that are different than conforming to the current ways they exist now. You end up representing, like you said, almost a a change. Representing non-conformity because homogeny and like all of all being the same is such a sad byproduct of cultural preservation. It's such a sad byproduct. As a third culture kid, so, you know, I grew up in Canada, but in a very Indian household. So naturally I have a third culture, which is the blend of these two very separate cultures. Um, 
as a third culture kid, it's very confusing. It's so confusing. It's like, okay, here are the values that my parents told me I need to be and my family has impressed upon me. And then here are the values that I see happening in my society and the people around me and my school and on TV outside of my household. And a lot of times they don't match. And then what happens, and this is what I very much so felt when I was, after I called off my wedding, was like this friction that these separate values have, it creates a friction and that friction creates heat and that heat creates anxiety, overwhelm and like imposter syndrome and and all of these really difficult, anxious feelings because you're like, I don't fit anywhere. I'm not good enough anywhere. And that's not true. But because we're trying to fit in a mold, it is, it, it, it's a feeling that it, it feels, starts to feel true that uh, I'm not good enough anywhere. But if that mold was just simply yourself and you were able to like kind of brush off all the ideas, all the shoulds that everybody has about you, and I've been blessed for my hair to fall out, to allow me the opportunity to see myself clearly and to force myself and forcefully acknowledge my own identity. I couldn't imagine a more holistic way for me to end up with a more core, with a core version of myself. In alignment to who you are, like you've said. My insides and outsides feel so in alignment. I feel like I can visibly represent myself, internally represent myself. I feel like I actually have space to, I've actually asked myself these hard questions. And then, you know, it's funny, you look at communities. Um, For me, the queer community and the, and black women, they were people that held me so sincerely during this whole experience. I've never really been invited into either of these spaces per se, right? But because I look different, the queer community, they were like, girl, you are rocking your authenticity. And you could imagine, like, I never, I've never really imagined this before. um, But I now understood, I was like, the queer community had to question their identity so significantly, question their gender, question how they represent their like clothing, their fashion, their everything, their hairstyle, because they want to try to come into alignment with themselves, yet they don't fit into this conforming box of society of these gender binary roles. And I never really, I never really thought about that before because I, I, I was just a straight Indian female. I look like a fucking chocolate cupcake, you know, so cute. So cute, you know, it's like long hair, just like adorable. And like now I feel not really adorable because I feel like my myself, I feel like my fierce self. And black women, like I, I just I never thought about hair politics before. And black women have and, and again, this is just through my conversations with them and, and what they've shared with me and um my personal experience, but you know, they've they've their their beautiful hair, their natural hair, um, I, I from what I understand, wasn't really welcomed in spaces, in white spaces, and in Western spaces. And I was sitting in the park one day, <laughs> and this guy walked past me and my friend. Uh, she's Nigerian, 
And he's like, I love my natural sisters over here. And I was like, what does that even mean? And it's because her hair's, our, I was bald and her hair was just her natural hair. She didn't permit, she didn't braid it. It was just her natural hair. And I was like, oh, okay. So whenever I met someone, they'd be like, oh, why'd you shave your head? And I'm like, is that your first fucking question? Okay, I got, I got you. Now I understand who you are. Um, black women never asked me that. They're like, they were all like, girl, I love, I love this. I love the hair looking good, rocking it so well. Like it was an instant compliment or like admiration or shout out or like whatever. I, I felt so welcomed. And you know, like when you look at these two groups, they are groups that have really fought for their identities to be represented holistically in our Western society. They don't conform either by choice or just by, you know, where they are in society. And honestly, I have so much gratitude and respect and understanding of the complexity of their identity and, and how they choose to foray in the world. And anyone showing up to be their authentic selves through fashion, through hair, through anything external or even personality wise, I think taking a step back and being like, wow, that person must have done a lot of work to be able to self-express so openly. Yeah. Or wow, that must have taken a lot of courage and confidence for you to show up that way to not be like everyone else or not try to be like everyone else, you know? Yeah, and like you said, it's, but that inner work can feel so tough at times. From oh, yeah. Exactly what you're saying, those questions you asked yourself, they were not light or fleeting questions at all. No, but they took me to where I am right now and which is like, okay, I don't really know what it means to be Indian, actually. I really don't. I, I grew up in a very traditional household with my beautiful family and all these people, but what does it really mean to be Indian? And then, you know, the feelings of colonization were really creeping up. It's like, who told us we had to be this way? And like, I started to become really sensitive to like cultural appropriation to um, misrepresentation and it was it was starting to really weigh on me I'm like you're selling kitchity for $15 hmm I don't think so kitchity <laughs> is what your mom makes you when you're sick and that shit does not cost more than two dollars even if it's organic let's call it for you know like uh, it and it's like okay so now y'all you, you're all here with this golden milk latte I'm like, let's call it healthy dude, you know, let's, <laughs> and um, again, why are you selling this for $6 or $7? And it's just like, it's a little bit atrocious. And it, it, I, it felt invasive. It was, it was hurting me and it never hurt me before, but because I was looking at my heritage with so much more availability, it was really hard. And so I, that, that provoked a trip to India 
I did a covert operation. I did not tell anyone that I was related that I was going to India. (laughs) (laughs) I went to India um, for five weeks and by myself, my mom was horrified at this idea that I was going to go by myself. I rented an Airbnb and I stayed there <laughs> again to like the devastation of my fam- my mom, which was really funny. But like also like, again, it was a journey for her to witness me on this journey. Um, but I went to India for the first, all jokes aside, I went to India for the first time alone as an adult. And Amrit, I would say like, I can't even tell you within 72 hours of being in India, I was like, I need to move here. And I've, I've never liked going to India, let alone decide I want to move there. Mm. Because I just was like, oh my God, like this place is amazing. I met all of these amazing artists and designers. I went to like a few events and I was like, wow, there are such progressive, intelligent, creative, incredible human beings here. And they get me, (laughs) I get like the idiosyncrasies of what, like, I just thought I was weird. I'm like, I need my chai to be piping hot. If it's lukewarm, I can't drink it. You know, like I, I, and all of these like little things that, you know, one could call them like, you know, your cute little flaws or obnoxious needs or preferences. But like in India, I was like, oh, I feel so seen right now. Y'all feel the same way as I do about these weird little things. This is so nice. And it felt like I was so welcome back at home. And India has never been home for me. So it was a very beautiful, bizarre, new experience for me. And through that trip, I, I went on that trip specifically to find a decolonized version of our culture and like I was even triggered by yoga I couldn't even go to a yoga class and I was like let me start with yoga let's see if I can find a Indian version of yoga that hasn't been totally co-opted by western ways I went to a yoga university I went over here and I went over there and I couldn't find it like even at this yoga university there were like white bodies and all of their images and I was like what you have to look for these people there's so many brown people here like like what (laughs) I didn't understand and I was shocked I was shocked at how colonized our mindsets are collectively as as people from the South Asian region Mm -hmm. and that was really sad and hard right because I could see that you know um it was just, it was just a lot. It was really a lot to take in and try to like understand and unpack and kind of leaving there with this new love for India and this new engagement of people in India that I hadn't experienced before because I wasn't able to access that within myself, but also like situationally. Um, And I started just asking a lot of questions and I started reaching out to people and actually reached out to the person who I'm now receiving oral transmissions, which means an oral history. He is sharing oral history of a decolonized version of our ancestral lineage with me. Even the word India is something that the British called us. Like we wouldn't call ourselves Indian before the British rule. 
And all of this was shocking. And imagine like, this is me bald as fuck um, with my identity, my Indian identity, open, fragile and malleable. And now I'm hearing these identity rocking things. Like we aren't actually Indians. That wasn't a name we've given ourselves. Um, all the gender binary things, that's a product of the West and not a byproduct of how our ancestors thought about gender. And like, and the list goes on of all these things that all this rigidity that we, that I have experienced in the Indian culture is not actually what our ancestors offered. And yeah, and, and, and it like, I can't even tell you like, I come from like a real estate tech background and I wrote poetry as a form of catharsis. And now because I shaved my head, because I asked myself these really intense questions, it has projected me into a totally different realm of thinking, of experiencing, of speaking. And I'm so deep in my poetic body now. And now I am a poetic translator, um, meaning that these academic and practical pieces of knowledge of our decolonized history are being offered to me to be able to translate that more broadly so other Indian diaspora or anyone that's interested in decolonization work um, or believes that the future is indigenous or thinks that our ancestors had the technologies and tools to offer us visibility into how we can do things like anyone interested in those things like that I, I'm, I'm translating some, in some deep work for us to be able to bring that into the practical realm of how we think and what we need to take layers of colonization off our body. And it all started with my hair falling down. It's so incredible how that journey did happen, even though, as you're telling it now, obviously you can see these, I guess you could say signposts or moments but even from your face, when you were first explaining, when you decided to go to India, you had one perception of it, but it just embraced you. And it just welcomed you into your identity in a whole different way that you couldn't initially have thought about. I, I mean, I even want to get my nose. I, I have my nose pierced now, yeah. right? And I refused as a kid. I was like, I never am going to get my nose pierced. That's way too Indian, you know? And, and so this like full circle of embracing who you are. I think a question that I ask myself often that maybe I'll like ask here for, for us all to meditate on is if you weren't concerned about your identity and what your identity and you as a person in this moment. So you as a person in this moment is your identity in some part, right? If you weren't worried about what you and the person would do in this moment, what would you do? What would you do if your identity was totally liberated? What would you do if there was no judgment from yourself? The only way we ever feel shame, the only way I felt shame during this whole experience of my hair falling out was when I was hiding. Shame cannot coexist with truth, authenticity, love and support. It cannot. Shame exists when you're hiding, when you're 
in denial when you are trying to be something you're not. And there's no judgment in trying to be something you're not. I think we all do that. But how many, in how many places of our lives will we compromise who we are for the sake of other people, social standards, social socialization, conformity? And like when, you, when I think about how many micro moments where I've compromised on who I was in the past, they add up to be a lot. Mm -hmm. Like you said, in the sense of, I do agree with you there that shame, whether it be about anything that you hold to be either personal or something that's related to society, if we do hide something, it grows exponentially. So quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it does sort of show in either how we speak or how we behave. I have a lot of beautiful people reaching out to me, asking me like how, like telling me how brave I am or sharing their struggles. Um, I have someone sliding into my DMs like almost daily and telling me their story. And I apologize if anyone has messaged me like shortly after I gave my talk or when I was in my experience of like me shaving my head, I was so overwhelmed. I, I couldn't respond. And then Facebook and Instagram deleted all the messages that I didn't respond to and I was sad I couldn't respond to them. But if you message me now, I will respond. <laughs> um, but I get all these messages and there, and, and there are a lot of, um, a lot of people saying that I, you had the courage to do this. I could never do that. Um, how were you so brave? Mm. Wow, you're so beautiful. I, I wouldn't be as beautiful if I were to do that or, or something a little bit self-deprecating, um, putting me on a pedestal and, and not allowing us to be equals. And I, I just wanted to like maybe hear, share with these people. Um, one, I had no idea what I'd look like when I shaved my head. Literally, I could have looked like I, I like I could have looked like anything. Um, I think the reason why people perceive me as as beautiful or as whatever fill in the blank of how they perceive me is because I I own it. I I'm like it took me some time. Don't get me wrong. It took me it took me a fair bit of time, close to a year. But this is who I am now, and I own it. And and so your confidence in yourself shines far farther than anything that your physical appearance shows you. And, you know, for folks that say that you have so much more courage than I do, um, there's two parts here. One, I want to acknowledge that I am definitely in a privileged place to be in a city like Toronto, where I felt safe to walk on the streets as a bald female which I know isn't the case everywhere in the world. Um, and I, I had the support of some key people in my life, which I know isn't always accessible to all people. Uh, but courage, it doesn't have to be like a grand act. For me, it was a big fuck you to everyone for me to shave my head. It, was, it wasn't a fuck, to any, fuck you to any particular person, but more so these like societal, cultural and familial um, oppressions, right? I did it loud, so maybe you could do it proud kind of thing. 
And so, you know, people that feel like they can't be as bold if they feel that it's to be bold to shave their head and they will continue wearing a wig. That's amazing. But there are so many other places in your life where you could build your courage to, and you can dismantle pieces that don't identify with you that are so small, like so small. Um, saying, no, auntie, I'm not hungry right now and refuse to eat when you're not hungry. Great. That is you standing up for yourself. You know, you're not eating all the food that people are trying to shovel into your mouth when you go to a family friend's house, you know, like as small as that being like, I'm too tired to do something. Can you do this partner or person, whoever it might be, you know, like there are all these micro moments that we have to stand up for ourselves. And I would really like ask, especially like the South Asian, the Brown, the Eastern woman to like really, and I, I don't want to gender this as like um, a female thing, but like anyone that feels oppressed, maybe I'll take it to that place that like, there's so much you could do with such little gestures for yourself and no one has to know about it except for you because in that moment you stood up for you. And that is the most beautiful gift you can give to yourself. And you will see, I saw that my little, my little baby pile of courage got bigger and bigger and bigger every time I did a small gesture like that. And nobody could build my pile of courage except for me. So there's only so much I could do to share with people when maybe what you need is support and love and kindness. And that's here for you in spades by people you don't even know. By me, I'm, I'm like here to support all of these like micro adjustments or maybe micro aggressions that you will introduce into your life as a way to stand up for yourself. Um, yeah, we all have the capacity to be courageous and it doesn't have to be a big move to do so yeah and building up like you said it's incrementally and it's not labeling okay this is an act of courage it's like you said either speaking up for yourself or giving that moments of empowerment even in the seemingly simple day-to-day stuff that's so key to feel like you said whether it's I guess even feeling that sense of I get a sense from you of like self-love I know people give it such a title but it's actually nurturing yourself as well yes you had support that you like you said you're less than grateful for from close friends and family but also it sounds like you also took the time to give yourself certain things and also we can encourage other people to take those moments too yeah yeah and be gentle right like life doesn't have to be life is hard life can be hard but we could also make it harder for ourselves. So where, where does gentleness exist? Where do those soft moments exist? And, and how do you like lean into them? Maybe you take a really long shower, you know, read a book in bed. Like there's such small things. People talk about their morning routines and their evening routines and how like ritualistic they are. Beautiful. That's an aspiration for me. I will say that my morning routine and my evening routine are like where they choose to be every day. But the fact that I just ask myself, what do I need in this moment? Oh, I want a coffee first thing in the morning. Well, that's probably a bad idea. Let's drink a glass of water first and then take a coffee, right? You know, it's just um, knowing what kindness looks for you and writing it down. Um, Anyways, that's just like, 
just really wanted to say that for folks that might have messaged me or are going through a similar journey, um, that there are many ways to walk through it. And they don't always have to be outrageously large acts at all. Yeah. No, and definitely appreciate that. And anyone listening, it's that fact of whatever that journey you're going through, whether it's, yes, okay, you spoke about the experience of alopecia or even feeling other or feeling marginalized in any way or feeling that you have to fit a certain archetype, I guess is the best way to put it, or storytelling. You can still you know, have these moments of kind of coming back, like you said, gentle kindness, giving yourself that sense of grounding and centeredness. And maybe just as like a, maybe, I don't know if this is like a closing remark of sorts, but um, the most beautiful, as I mentioned at the beginning, challenges are beautiful. But people that have undergone identity shifting experiences or people that have experienced illness in their body, like I felt physically ill um, as well. Uh, people that have experienced kind of some sort of chronic sickness in some form, they have been asked to spend extra time attending to their body, physical, emotional, or mental body. And in a way that other people have not. And that builds a level of resilience and understanding to your bodies, mental, physical, and emotional bodies that allows you to be so much more versatile because you're actually able to listen because you know what to listen for. And what a, what a gift. What a gift to like have now, have this built-in resiliency and like focusing on post-traumatic growth rather than post-traumatic stress. It could be stressful in the moment, but it could be growth inducing later on. That is such a powerful and key message as well, that term post-traumatic growth. Like you said, in those moments when things are coming at us, whether it is illness or a particular issue that's affecting us, it's very hard in that moment, like you said, to see the lesson or the point but it is sort of coming back to that as you're going along, like how you cultivated it as well, whether in your surroundings, asking questions, also being very truthful for, with yourself. Like you said, you had moments of feeling anger and feeling, as you said, you didn't realize you had moments of feeling depressed and you had to have a friend kind of say that back to you, but you kept on, even shifting your environment and the surroundings around you as well. So I'm grateful for everything you shared today. Thank you. Yeah. It, was a, it was a real pleasure to uh, hold my past self in this conversation. But in terms of, like you said, your past self, where do you see yourself going forward now? I know. That may feel, I know you're going to say that's another large question, but what's the hope for you, even if it's the next week or the next few months? Well, yeah, actually, um, 
I'm, I'm capable of answering that question uh, <laughs> in a more in a more succinct way, and it, that that hasn't been the case uh, for the last little while, but in this moment it is. Um, so there's two things here. Uh, one, I mentioned that I'm working on these decolonization narratives, and so I'm actually launching a crowdfunding. Um, I don't know what you call it, campaign, website, uh, to help fund some of these decolonization narratives that I'm bringing forward to fund kind of the, um, the tools that are needed to put this together. So I'll be actually launching that today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting and nerve wracking. I feel very vulnerable mm-hmm. putting myself out there, but it feels so right to ask the community to co-create and to co-fund, yes, monetarily, but also energetically, like to co-fund this with me and to be part of this journey because decolonization work, um, to acknowledge our ancestors, to learn what is beyond behind so many layers um, and to experience the richness of our history, but also of our current identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, is tremendous and it's a collective effort. I, I'm just like a poetic translator over here, um, but this is this is truly the work of all of us together. And so it only feels right to like bring the community in as, as soon as I can to like talk about this and to co-create alongside me. Um, so that's really, really exciting and nerve wracking. Um, and I was invited to participate in an art in a residency program that focuses on decolonization work. And so um, to be supported by academics who've gone through this and can guide some of the, the narratives here would be exactly what I need to like put this information out into the world. So I'm going to vulnerably launch that in the next I'm, I'm going to try not to be a perfectionist and to just put it out into the world um, and I really hope you and your viewers have a chance to look at it and if you feel compelled or have the ability to support that's cool if not it's also cool send some good energy and that's great appreciate that um, and decolonization work and liberation narratives, which is a different way of saying decolonize, like, you know, to, to have these liberated narratives comes with another element, um, which is kind of saying fuck you to all the shoulds. And I, again, have been, I don't know what the word is, shy, apprehensive. Um, I think, again, it's also vulnerable. Uh, but sharing uh, the questions, the process, the meditations, um, the deprogramming tools that I used uh, in a way that other people can use it to honor that their selves and their bodies. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, 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 a a movement, let's call it, uh, you can fill in the blank here. I'll just share the website name, but it's called fuck the shoulds. Um, <laughs> fuck the shoulds.com. Um, I'm putting a lot more of my energy towards helping people um, come closer to their truer selves. And honestly, it starts by identifying all the things that are compressed and imposed upon you mm. and then choosing and choosing where it feels good to maybe 
let them wither away. Not all of them. We don't have to like throw your whole life out. Like that's not, I'm not asking, I'm not asking myself to like live in the woods and like separate myself from like all of society or anything like that. It's, it's, it's just like, again, these little wins that you can co-create for yourself. These little moments of like, oh, I'm standing up a little taller because I feel myself more clearly and building my little pile of courage, living my life maybe as it is, but feeling good about myself fundamentally. And man, I want everyone to feel good about themselves. I feel really great about myself. Not always, but right now I do. Um, I, <laughs> I feel really great. Uh, about who I am and I understand myself and when I look at young Parl when I think about the past version of me man I really needed who I am today to help the past version of me and I was looking for her and I was looking for someone that looked like me like another a strong brown female and I remember not being able to find someone like that. And so a lot of the stuff that I do, I do it for little Parl, past Parl, um, knowing that there's so many versions of me and us out there. Um, just another, another person that's offering to lend a hand and be a little light. We could all be lights together. It'd be really nice to do that. Thank you. So grateful for that work that you're committing to. And like you said, it's all of us, each of us as a community, even today, us having this conversation about some of these topics and acknowledging, you know, what can be looked at and where we can, like you said, have these micro moments of either change or growth or questioning. And that in itself is empowering. So thank you so much. And I wish you all the best with all the work that you're creating and speaking out there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you and all the work that Seek Forgiveness is, is doing and offering a space for people to hear different ways of existing. So I appreciate appreciate you and, and this, this amazing team that's bringing forward and holding people with kindness and care. It's really, it's really beautiful. Thank you.